0: I wonder if we could turn for a scripture reading again to the Gospel of Mark this evening and to chapter 5 of Mark's Gospel. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. We're going to read from the first verse of the chapter again. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. And they came over onto the other side of the sea, onto the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000, were choked in the sea. And they, had, uh, they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had a legion sitting and clothed And in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed of the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends. And tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing again to the reading of his precious word to our hearts. Can we unite at the throne of grace just a moment? Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy precious word afresh. We thank thee for the delivering mercy of God. We thank thee for the authority that our Savior has over demons, over depravity, over uh, depression. We thank thee, Lord, that there's no defeat because we have a victorious Savior. And we just ask thee that thou wouldst come tonight And bless thy word to every heart. Lord, speak through thy word. We ask that thou wast anoint thy word with power, that it might have free course and be glorified. For it is in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. The end of a gospel meeting, when the gospel message had been proclaimed, the preacher was coming down from the pulpit, and he was approached by a man who asked him if he could give his testimony. I don't know whether I would have done this, but the preacher consented to uh, hear the testimony of the man. And the words that he brought by way of testimony were very touching. He said that he had not been brought up um, in a very good home. It was a home in which blasphemy had been often heard, He said that strong drink was his portion from infancy. He said that he learned to swear. He was encouraged to steal even from a little child. He said that his playground had been the most notorious parts of the city and he knew every part of the uh, most uh, depraved parts of that town. He said that uh, a poor working man one day... brought the ragged boys that he was one of together. This was the first time that he'd ever heard the gospel. And he was glad that this man had been willing to teach him the gospel. He said another Christian man had preached the gospel in the street in the summer and in the sunshine and even in the winter snow. This man had been faithful in bringing the gospel to that part of the world. And through this man, he learned about his sin. He learned about the fact that he was a sinner. And one day, this preacher got into conversation with the man, uh, and he said that either you will end up as a, a trophy of grace, or you'll end up on the gallows. And he said that's the um, way that you're going. You're either going to be uh, right down in the very depths of hell, or you're going to be a, a brand plucked from the burning. And one of the things that this man said to the young man is that God is able to save the devil's castaways. And that really spoke to the young man because he realized that he was right down in the depths of sin. As he listened to that, he said, That's me. I am the devil's castaway. And it was as if the Holy Spirit fixed this message upon the heart of the young man. And he learned about God who is rich in mercy and God who is willing to save. And he went and he talked to the, uh, some Christians, to the people that he knew. And he said, I, I, wasn't, I didn't profess to be converted that night. But he believed later that this was the night when God had changed his heart and he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he became really a trophy of grace. But it was through that phrase that the Lord is able to see if the devil's castaways. It was a phrase that was often used by George Whitfield. Indeed he got into trouble, as we'll just see in a little while, in high society, by, by saying that the Lord was interested in the devil's castaways. But if there's an illustration of that truth that God is able to see if the devil's castaways, it is in the story that is before us this evening. We're introduced to this man, this demoniac, in verses 2 and 3 of the portion of Scripture in Mark chapter 5. It says that when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. And here's an individual who is so disturbed that the uh, people of the town resort to chaining him. They want, they want to uh, get hold of him. They, they don't want him roaming about. He's so dangerous. And so they put him in chains. And that's their uh, solution to the problem of this man. But such is the demonic strength that he has that he's able to take the chains and pluck them asunder. And he's a danger to himself and a danger to those that are round about him. But here is a man in misery and sin uh, on, under the chains of the devil And yet God is able to take this wild animal of a man and God is able to take the man who had been demonized and filled with many demons and God is able to make that man a trophy of grace. At the end of the story as we read, he's out preaching the word of God. He is out delivering the message of salvation to his kinsfolk there in the town. So God is able to take a man who is possessed with a legion of demons, and God is able to transform that man. And what I want to get at tonight is no matter how deep down in sin you may be, no matter what you have done or what has been the guilt that you've been involved in, God is able to save your soul. This man really had been a dead man walking, and yet God puts life into the very existence of this awful being. So I want us just to think about the transformation that takes place in the heart of this demonized man. And he is delivered, and then he is uh, brought into the place of delight where he becomes a preacher of God's precious word. So we want to look at this man That is, the devil's cast away, and God saves him by his grace. And just as we look at him tonight, the first thing that I want you to see is his condition. Because here's a man with a serious problem. If there was ever a man who uh, would be uh, reasonable to bar from the grace of God, this is the man. And you look at him here, he's out in the tombs. He's out with these unclean spirits. He is bound with chains. He is a madman. He's cutting himself. And you see all of the things that are uh, true of this man. And I want you to think about his disadvantages here. Maybe you think that you have disadvantages as far as coming to God is concerned. Maybe it's to do with your background or to do with the circumstances that you're in or because you're in addiction or because you are captivated by some sin or some lust that's in your heart. Maybe you're saying to yourself, well, God could save others, but he can't save me. Well, look at the disadvantages of this man. First of all, you'll see that he was a Gentile. You can tell that because he is out among the pigs The country that he lives in here in Gadara is Gentile country, and you can see that because they are keeping pigs. The Jews didn't keep pigs. The Jews, to the Jews, the pig was an unclean animal. So this is a marker that this man was a Gentile. He was not from among the people of God. He was not from among those chosen people. And many of the Jews would have looked down upon a man like this. They would have despised a man like this. He wasn't from the right background. And maybe I'm speaking to you tonight, and as we've said, you're not from the right background. You have uh, nobody in your family that's saved. Nobody that is washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. You have no uh, background in coming to gospel meetings You have no background in uh, understanding the things of God. And maybe as yet as you are under the sound of the word of God tonight, there are many things that you cannot understand. And you say, well, I'm from a different background. I'm from, maybe I'm speaking to someone, maybe someone listening in tonight, and you're from a different religious background. Maybe you're from a Muslim background or a Hindu background or a Buddhist background. And maybe your background is different and you can say, you're saying to yourself, well, my upbringing, my background is completely different and I can't be saved. Well, here's a man who was a Gentile in a day when the Gentiles were despised and they were outside, as it were, the fold of God. And yet God, in his mercy, reaches down to this Gentile. Not only is he a Gentile, but he is unclean. He lived among the tombs and he lived among the pigs. And both things made him ceremonially unclean as far as Jews would have been concerned. He would have um, uh, not been able to come to the feast or the uh, temple or anything like that. And we might not have that system of uncleanness today, but maybe as I'm speaking to you, you are conscious of an uncleanness. Maybe you recognize that your life has been anything but good. Maybe you recognize that you've been living on the dirty side of the road. You've been living in a place where you've been in the filth and the mire of this old world. You've been involved in the seedier side of life. And maybe tonight as you come, you say, but preacher, I'm unclean. I can't come because I'm unclean. I need to get myself read up. I need to get myself cleaned up. I need to get myself tidied up before I come. I need to get a little bit of respectability. Dear friend, you don't need to come. If God can save a demonized man who one minute is full of demons and who is speaking by a demon voice, then God can save you. He's unclean. And then something else, he's possessed. He's devil-possessed. He is demon-possessed. And he was not only ceremonially unclean, but clearly here was a man who was filled with demons. And demon possession is real. I read somewhere uh, when I was preparing this of somebody that had gone through the Bible, did a little bit of study on demonism or demonized people, and they were trying to get uh, the characteristics um, that would identify somebody as being filled with demons. And they said you couldn't really do it because many of the characteristics that were described as being uh, uh, um, telltales of being uh, demonized were ordinary illnesses, like being dumb or being blind. Sometimes people who were dumb or blind were also filled with demons. And so the man said, well really, you can't really tell exactly what it is that might be. It might be that the illness is a telltale of being demonized. It may not be. Now, there are those that have looked at that and they have said, well, this is a primitive thing. There's no such thing as being demonized. This is an explanation that primitive people put upon various illnesses, whether it was physical illness or uh, some kind of mental illness, as is the case with this man. And they're really just trying to explain this. But I want you to see that this doesn't stand up to scrutiny. We'll see later on that this man has prodigious strength. Now, this man had prodigious strength, not by any strength of his own. There was This was a telltale of the fact that he was demonized. But you know, we said that sometimes illnesses were described as um, the symptoms of being demonized. For example, in Matthew 9 and verse 32, it says, And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And maybe you say, well, there you are, primitive people couldn't understand, a man who couldn't speak, so they said that he was possessed with a demon. But we read also in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 30, And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Now there's no mention there of casting out of demons. They were healed. But sometimes this dumb spirit was the symptom of being demonized. But I want you to see that this man then is possessed with demons, and not only one demon, but we're told that there is a legion. When he's asked his name, he says that his name is legion, indicating that there were many demons there. Now a legion, a Roman legion could have been up to 6,000. I don't think maybe there were 6,000, but there were 2,000 pigs that these Demons were cast out into it later, so at least there were 2,000 of them, probably a lot more than that. And you think of this, maybe there was nobody ever as demonized as this man was. Might you think of the turmoil and the torment that was in, he would have recognized in himself that there were voices there, there there was this turmoil there is these demons would have um, fought among themselves, given them different things to do. It's not a bit wonder that he was mad. Here he is and he's demonized. And yet the Lord is able to deliver a man who's demonized. You haven't a multitude of demons in you. Demon, demon uh, possession today is relatively rare in this land anyway. It's maybe becoming more common because of the demise of the gospel and true gospel preaching. But maybe I I, I know that nine times out of ten, many more, that I'm not talking to somebody who's possessed with a demon. And dear friend, I know that the Lord is able, whatever may be the case, to deliver. But could we put it like this, that if the Lord is able to take the demonized man who is filled with these demons and deliver him. Can he not do that for you? So this man is demon-possessed. And then we find that he's isolated. He's away from human contact. He lived among the tombs by himself and he is cast out of his community. Nobody wants anything to do with this man. Maybe you're saying, well, that's my condition. You know, what I've done has left me isolated. It's left me, nobody wants contact with me. He's isolated and he's violent. We read that the people sought to bind him because of his violence, because he was a real danger to those that he was in contact with. And then he has this supernatural strength that we attribute then to the demons. And he takes the chains that are binding his hands and his feet. He just snaps them. Here is um, an indication of his demon possession. And then he's in constant suffering because it says that night and day he would run naked among the tombs, crying in agony and cutting himself. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 21, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And you'll never experience true, lasting peace outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's heightened in this man. It is to the nth degree in this man because of the demons that are inside. This destructive, constant suffering is heightened in his life. And it seems as if God is magnifying this to us. This this is the normal condition of sinners, maybe to a lesser degree. Probably to a lesser degree. But nevertheless, here is this suffering. And this self-destruction. The devil was having this man cut himself. He wanted to destroy him. Because that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to destroy humanity. He wants to destroy men and women. Because we are made in the image of God. And the devil wants to destroy the image of God. And that's why... When you give yourself over to sin, you're left as a husk of yourself. You're left as a, 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 a veritable a husk of humanity. When drugs and when drink and when loss begin to take hold, then they leave the person miserable right down in the very depths of sin. Well, maybe you're in that condition tonight. And you say, There's no hope for me. Yes, there is. There is hope. For the downcast, there is hope for the devil's castaways. And dear friend, dear, dear the, the Lord is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. We said that when George Whitfield spoke about God being able to take the devil's castaways, there were a lot of um, very uh, arist- uh, aristocratic ladies who followed George Whitfield, and the Countess of Huntington, who was a great... Supporter of uh, Whitfield, and they were scandalized that Whitfield would say such a thing and they complained to Lady Huntington, and she brought the complaint to Whitfield, and he said to Lady Huntington, he said, Well, yes, I do say that, but he said one day one night, I said that in a meeting, and there was a woman who was passing by, and she heard the remark that I had made, and she came to me and she said. Is the Lord able to save the devils castaways? And he said, "Well, yes, he is." He said, "If you're wi- but, but willing to go to him, he will save you." And he, uh, this woman was saved by the grace of God. And the Lady Huntington was told about the uh, woman's uh, later life. She became uh, remarkable for her purity of life. She, uh, uh, at her death. Uh, She clearly testified that Christ had indeed washed her crimson stains. And there she was right down, one of the devil's castaways, and the Lord was able to save her. Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, tells another story about her, um, one of the native servants that were in, she was a missionary kid in China. And there was a, a woman there by the name of Wang Nai Nai. And she lived in a small room in the Bells house. And um, Ruth, when she was growing up, never knew much about her. But she later learned that that woman, barely five feet tall, weighing less than 100 pounds, um, was really lived a life of debauchery before she was saved. She was guilty of taking little children. Her little flowers, as she called them, and selling these girls into prostitution in Shanghai. But God took that woman, guilty of such crimes, and saved her by his grace. And she loved the hymn this woman, there is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. And she particularly loved the the verse that said, The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Dear friend, no matter how deep down in sin you may be, he is able to save you. We see his disadvantage. But then I want you to see something else, his dwelling. Look at verse 3. It says, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. He was in the place of death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We are told that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And we think of how Adam, he didn't die physically at first. God had said that if he ate of the forbidden fruit, he would die. He didn't die physically at first, but eventually he did but he died supernaturally. He died spiritually there when he ate of the forbidden fruit. Here's this man, and he's among the tombs. He's in the place of death. And oh, dear friend, you're in the place of death. You're chained there. Physical death brings that separation of the soul and the body. But spiritual death brings the separation of the one of the, of, uh, of the uh, soul from spiritual life, the one who is the life, our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. And dear friend, tonight there you are in the place of death, dead in trespasses and in sins. No hope, but Christ is your hope. Not only do we see his disadvantage and his, de- uh, his um, dwelling, but I want you to see his demeanor. Look at verses 4 and 5. He says, Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself. And you notice that society couldn't help him. People couldn't help him. There was nobody that could help him. You know, in society today... There are those that come with their counseling. There are those that come with their psychiatry. There are those that come with their uh, bold assertion that they can help. And in a little way, maybe they can help. Some of these things can be of help. Modern psychology, perhaps, in some ways, is a help. But the only one who can really help you is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only one who can reach into the soul. The only one who can touch the heart. Is the Lord Jesus Christ. Society here couldn't help him. All that they could do was bind him in chains and put him out of the town. There was no help from society. And at the end of the day, there'll be no help from society for you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that alone can save the soul. Not only could society not help this man, but society couldn't handle him. They um, uh, were fearful of him. It says in verse 5, And always night and day was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. We read that the people were afraid of him. When they met him, they were afraid of him. Here he was, uh, the terror of society. And yet, God took that very individual, changed him by his grace, Society couldn't help him or handle him, and then society couldn't hide from him. Look what it says in Matthew eight and twenty eight. It says, And when he was come to the other side unto the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, and the two includes the one, coming with coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. They were afraid of him. They were afraid of him. Dear friend, maybe you have such a reputation that people are afraid. People are afraid. But the Lord is not afraid to reach down and touch your heart and your life. We see his demeanor. But also we see his destruction. Look at verse 5 again. It says that he was cutting himself with stones. He's trying to kill himself. Here he is associated with the devil and he's not happy. The devil's not looking after your welfare. The devil wants to do what he was doing with this man and that's bring him down to death. That's that's where you're heading in your sin. You're heading to the place of death and destruction. And I want you to see this man here. We see his condition. And it wasn't a good condition. Without Christ, dear friend, you're not in a good condition either. But not only do I want you to see his condition, but I want you to see his confession. Look at verse 2. It says, And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. And I want you to see what the man says. Look at verses 5 and 6. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him crying with a loud voice and saying, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? Now he wants nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, here's a man who is demonized, who is depraved, who is destroying himself. And yet, in the midst of all of that, he falls down and he worships. He has to worship the blessed Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. As these demons come into the very presence of the God of all the earth, the Son of God, he has to get down and worship. He wants nothing to do with Jesus, the Son of God. He wants to have uh, the Lord Jesus bid all of these demons be put into the midst of the sea. But nevertheless, he worships because we know that at the end of the day, Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He speaks about the Lord. He says to him, Jesus, thou son of the most high God. Now this is the demons talking. These are the demonic spirits and they're manifesting their uh, personalities. And these demons that are inhabiting them knew Jesus. They know who they're talking to. They know who it is, and they say, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. It's a torment to these demons to be out of a human body. Because as we say, what do these demons want to do? Destroy the human body. They want to destroy everything that reminds them of God or the things of God. And it's a torment for them to be outside of a human body because they want to use the human body as a weapon against the things of God. My, as we look in this world, we look at the drug addicts, we look at the people that are benighted by drink, and my, they're being used in this world as the devil's battering ram against the things of God. That's what the devil does. That's what the devil wants to do with you. Bring you down into destruction. We see his confession, and his. uh, we see something of his condition. But one more thing I want you to see, and that is his cure. Look at verses 8 and 9. For he said unto him, Come out of the man thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, Saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And as we say, there was at least 2,000 of these demons inside this man. But I want you to see that the Lord Jesus was able to deal with the thousands of demons. And he was able to meet the need of the man. Look at verses 11 to 13. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. So the demons wanted to go out and they were pleading for their lives here, really. They're not bargaining with the Lord when they say, put us into the swine. They're pleading for their lives. And the Lord, yes, um, says, yes, you can let them go into the swine. Many people have questioned that. Why would the Lord allow... These uh, pigs to be uh, destroyed. Uh, and But I, I think that what the Lord is doing here is giving a visual gem- gem- uh, demonstration to the people of what the devils were going to do on them. I think that's what was happening here. But here is um, this demon-possessed man. And God delivers this man from the, the demons that were in him. And as we say, can God not do that for you? And I want you to see that the Lord cured him dramatically. Look at verse 15. And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. Notice where the swine went to. They went to death and destruction. The fact that they went into the pigs for a little time didn't save them. They went to destruction. That's where the devil and all who follow him are going. And this is an illustration. It was an illustration to the man and to all that saw that that is where the devil is carrying you. He was cured dramatically. He was cured immediately. Look at verse 15. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting in clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. There wasn't some kind of gradual cure to this man. There wasn't some kind of uh, transformation that took place. Over a period of time. No, here were these people who had been binding this man, who had seen him maybe years in this condition with all of these demons, and now they see him immediately sitting and clothed and in his right mind. The salvation and transformation of God is immediate and it's complete. He's sitting. This man hadn't been sitting before. He was wandering about in the tombs. Wandering about and uh, crying and cutting himself. But now he's sitting. He was clothed. We are told that he had been naked before. But now he's clothed. And then... We read about the madness as he was cutting himself and trying to do away with himself. But now he's in his right mind before he had been shouting and ranting, couldn't be restrained. But my, what a transformation the Lord makes in the life of this man. Him, writers writer said, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought. Since Jesus came into my heart, I have lightened my soul which so long I had sought since Jesus come into my heart. Oh, the Lord can save the guttermost to the uttermost. He can save right down in the very depths. Didn't we read it last time about the horrible pit and in the mire and in the filth? And the Lord Jesus went down into the mire and filth of sin to lift men and women up. Not that he became a sinner, but that he went down into the sin-cursed world that he might lift men and women out of their sin, and he can lift you. No matter how down, no matter what condition, no matter how difficult it may be, the Lord is able to save you. Now, maybe you're sick, but oh, that, that's wonderful preacher. The Lord was able to save him. The Lord was able to save Wang Nai Nai. The Lord was able to save that man that went to the preacher. That man that lived. In uh, debauchery and in sin. The Lord was able to save them. But that's for them, it's not for me. Is that what you're saying tonight? You might marvel at Christians. You might marvel at their testimony. You say, well, that's for them, it's not for me. I want to tell you, dear friend, it is for you. There's none so dark. There's none so depraved. There's none so dead in trespasses and in sins that the Lord cannot save. He died on the cross and shed his blood. He has made a complete sacrifice for sins. And those that come to him, he will in no wise cast out. But you need to come. You need to call upon him for mercy. You need to seek him while he is to be found. And you need to call upon him while he is near. Will you do that tonight? no matter how deep in sin, no matter how dark your life has been, the Lord is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. And may you come tonight and find the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's just bow in a word of prayer and we close our meeting in a, a word of prayer. But if God has been speaking to you, to get in contact with us, whether you're on the internet or uh, whether you're looking on, just then get in contact with us, speak to us, and we'll be only too glad to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank Thee for the Saviour who's able to save to the uttermost. We're glad that it doesn't matter how dark or deep the sinner is, we're glad that Thou dost lift up the fallen, and thou art able to take those that are right down in the mire and pit of sin, and are able to save to the uttermost. So gracious God, be with us. Bless thy word to our hearts. And, O God, we pray that thou wouldst part us in thy fear and with thy blessing now. Take us to our homes in safety and be with us. For it's in Jesus' precious name I would ask these things. Amen. Amen.